Maker's Mark Bourbon is aged to taste in Loretto, Kentucky. The Samuels family uses locally grown soft red winter wheat and sources water from a lake on the distillery's campus. Every Maker's Mark label is printed and die cut by hand on an antique press, and each bottle is hand dipped in their signature red wax. All the details matter when distilling quality bourbon. Since Maker's Mark sold its first case of bourbon to the Keeneland Racecourse in Lexington, they have perfected the craft of distilling American whiskey. For their dedication to making great bourbon and for their support of the Southern Foodways Alliance, we thank them. Maker's Mark crafts their bourbon carefully. Please enjoy it that way. Excited to lap up another episode of Gravy? Tell a friend. Pass the gravy boat. There's plenty to go around. I'm Melissa Hall. And I'm John T. Edge. We're your hosts for Gravy. 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 In this season of Gravy, the Southern Foodways Alliance explores the Alabama Black Belt. From barbecue smoked and sold in parking lots to pies baked at home and distributed from the counters of convenience stores. Small-scale, home-based culinary side hustles are omnipresent in communities across this region. In this episode, Gravy travels to York, Alabama, population 2,500, and to Montgomery, Alabama, the Black Belt's largest city, to see what's cooking. Let's join Jackie Clay in the shadow of York Baptist Church to meet Thomas and Tommy Taylor. Culinary entrepreneurship, whether running barbecue stands, holding neighborhood fish fries, or selling sweets around town, has long enabled African Americans to earn income, stick together as a family, and express creativity. Today's Black food entrepreneurs often learn their craft from older family members. In this episode, we hear two stories of entrepreneurship in the Black Belt, one rural and one urban. First, Thomas and Tommy Taylor run a barbecue stand in York, Alabama named TNT. Yep, for Thomas and taught me. Because we always look at ourselves as being a dynamite couple anyway. So it was just perfect, you know, with it being the, <laughs> the barbecue place. So The Taylors work full-time at other jobs during the week and run the barbecue stand on Saturdays. Thomas starts smoking the meat at 5 a.m. and customers will line up by 8. It's been popular from the start with some patrons traveling hours from nearby cities. And in this rural community, it is a gathering spot, a social scene, a burst of energy in the quiet landscape. When we first started, it was going to be seasonal. You know, just during the barbecue season time, we were not intending to do this in the fall and winter months. And it just happened. They wouldn't stop coming. <laughs> we sell slabs, we sell Boston butts, we sell pulled pork, we sell real plates, chicken plates, burgers, uh, pigtails. They're the number one for seller. I probably probably got the best pigtails in the world. So, you know, it's, everybody thinks it's this little wiggly part of the tail, but it's not. It's the coming out of the, you know, like the pork loin. You know, you, half of it, your pork loin come right down to the back of the pigtail. So it's got a lot of lean and fat on it. People that travel, and those, those are the those are my favorite when they come by. They, they never heard of a pigtail, and I trick them into trying it, and they love it. That's that's the best part about it. Yeah, he get them every time. TNT makes their own sauce using a secret recipe, and they do sides. Pasta salad, potato salad, chicken salad, baked beans, and coleslaw. They also smoke turkeys and hams during the holidays. Thomas once smoked 75 turkeys in one day. And that's not counting the hams. And not counting the hams. I like barbecue, and... I just like doing it. It's fun. Everybody says good, so <laughs> I just like 
thinking about that doing it. By the time Thursday come, I'll be like, man, I'd be glad when Saturday comes so we can go to the barbecue stand. I like to see people happy. I like to see them eat. You know, I like to hear them say, oh, the food is so good. You know, I mean, I, I just love serving people anyway. And, and that's something, I guess, that we have done probably ever since we've been together, serving somebody. You know, we, we were always cooking and inviting somebody over and letting them eat and, you know, that kind of thing. So Thomas was known as a good cook among family and friends and by cooking for church fundraisers. So people started encouraging him to open a barbecue place. And then also it was prophesied at the church, too, about us, you know, opening up a business or starting a business or whatever. So after everybody kept getting on to him about it, so he decided, well, he'll go ahead and buy this little mobile unit. He parked it uh, in our yard, uh, in our backyard. And every day he got off work at 3, he would work on the inside of that until he got it to a point where we could actually move it. So he brought it to York because we felt like that's where God was leading us to, to serve the community. Thomas learned to cook from his grandmother, who raised 13 children and two grandchildren in Coatopa, Alabama, and lived to be 99 years old. She'd get in there and she'd show me how to cook deer meat, coons and squirrels, rabbits. We basically grew and kill all our meat wise. She didn't buy nothing but maybe flour or salt and pepper, sugar. The rest of the stuff we grew and made it. Peach, I mean, she used to make peach cobbler, power preserves. Even I used to make jelly, plum jelly, peach jelly. Back in the day. She's a sweet little old lady. <laughs> <laughs> they were just really, really sweet. I remember when um got pregnant with our middle son. And his granddad, would he had me so spoiled, he would go get plums and peaches and stuff off the tree and come back and wash them off with the hose. And he would sit there and peel, they had the swing that he used to sit in under the chair. He would call me, come sit with me, I'll sit with him. He would peel that peach and feed it to me piece by piece by piece by piece. I loved it. So when it came to making barbecue, Thomas did what his family had always done. He used the knowledge and materials at hand and figured it out. I just kept playing with it until I learned how to find ingredients, the meat, and how to get the, the right height with the fire up under the grill until I got it like I want to. You know, burn up a few stuff. <laughs> Tom's made the stand from an old race car transport truck, and... The smoke was made out of a old freezer, upright freezer, probably back in the 50s or 60s. Now entering its 14th year, TNT has always been a family business. I have my wife and daughters, grandkids, my sister, sister-in-law. It's just a family thing. Our um, granddaughters... Uh, the oldest two, they were maybe sixth grade, I think, started. Now the oldest one, she have uh, finished college. She's in um, uh, Air Force Reserve. Now she's getting ready to enter into law school, and she started in sixth grade, you know. So she grew up in that barbecue state. Though the work is hard, 
The barbecue stand helps Thomas and Tommy center their family and connect their community. I know pretty much now who's ordering what. I pretty much know everybody by name. Uh, Sometimes I have to get on them, you know, when they come, if they want to act up or want to break line or, you know, that kind of thing, you know. So, I mean, I, I, I look forward to seeing them. And I'm a big talker anyway. Sometimes I may visit too long with them or whatever, but, you know, that's all a part of it to me. You know, we love people. We love to serve. We love to make people happy. You know, and we love cooking good food. And we are here until God tells us to do something different. So if you need some good barbecue off Highway 2059 or just want to try your first pigtail. You can find TNT Barbecue Stand in York, Alabama. The address is 629 3rd Avenue. And we are right across the street from the Bank of York. When we come back, Emily Blavos heads to the big city, Montgomery, to meet an entrepreneur who follows in her mother's footsteps. This summer, Lodge has created a new Wanderlust series. Cast with imagery of outdoor travel and designed to fuel your adventures, this series features two skillets and a combo cooker, which works as a Dutch oven and comes with a lid that easily converts to a skillet. Versatile and easy to store, they're the perfect partners for journeys through nature and on the open road. Lodge also added the durable and portable kickoff grill to their packing lists. The easy-to-use cast-iron grill is perfect for family vacations, camping trips, and game-day tailgates. As summer turns to fall, Lodge has the cast-iron you need to simplify outdoor cooking, season over season. Visit LodgeCastIron.com to order your summer cookware. For their commitment to quality cast-iron cookware and their longtime support of the Southern Foodways Alliance, we thank Lodge. Montgomery, the state capital of Alabama, sits in the eastern part of the Black Belt, one of the few cities in a predominantly rural region. In the late 1960s, Sally B. Hawkins lived in Montgomery with her husband Willie and their 12 children in the Trenum Court housing project, where they were forced to move after the new interstate destroyed their old neighborhood. This happened in many southern cities. New highways broke up strong and vibrant black neighborhoods. At Trenum Court, Sally B. heard about a new housing development in town. She needed $1,000 for a down payment on a house, so she created Heaven and Hell Suppers to raise the money, but told no one what it was for. She cooked camp stew and, and crackers or cornbread. That was uh, hell, and you know, it was hot, because she put a lot of that tobacco sauce in it. She put beef and chicken and pork in it, Then she had potatoes and corn and tomatoes. That's Sally B's daughter, Martha Hawkins, describing the hell part of the supper. And for heaven, Sally B served pound cake and ice cream, made the old-fashioned way. I might have had to sit there till you couldn't couldn't crank anymore. (laughs) I guess you were letting people get a taste of hell and a taste of heaven. Because if you go to heaven, you're just going to have you some good, cool ice cream. But if you go to hell, you're going to have some fine brimstone. <laughs> but at that particular time, a lot of folks love to go to hell. <laughs> the suburbs started at 6, and plates cost a dollar. You could take your plate to go or eat at the house. Friends and neighbors came, people from church, whole families. It was some 
to look forward to on Fridays and Saturdays. It yeah. was something different, and plus it was fun. Just being able to mingle with each other, you know, and laugh and talk and stuff. You know, it was a time for fellowship, just having a good time. In addition to selling plates, Sally B. made up party games to make extra money. And plus you had orange slicing, so she sliced the orange and people had to guess how many seeds was in the orange. <laughs> <laughs> she was so creative. We had uh, peanut drawing, two at the Heaven and Hell Supper, where you draw the peanuts and the one that get the last peanut had to pay for them. She also sold sweet potato pies and held fish fries. And in a little over a year, Sally B. had saved the $1,000 for her down payment. She told her husband. He was shocked. We always shocked. We always surprised. She was the first entrepreneur in our family, you know, and, and we didn't know it. At that particular time, we just didn't think anything about it, about her being an entrepreneur or doing it, because she would just call herself making extra money. The family's new house had four bedrooms, two bathrooms, and a modern kitchen. It was real nice. A oven, you know, that you can turn the, the exhaust fan on to take some of the heat out. And so it was, uh, it was amazing. I had air conditioning, because where we stayed, we didn't have air conditioning. We had wonder fans. So, hey, we, so it was just like cotton come to Harlem. Because what we were staying at is a housing project and over three, 300 people staying in that little small area. And I didn't realize how small it was till they tore the apartments down. And I said, just think all of us was in this little area on top of each other. Sally B. had used cooking to improve her family's circumstances at a time when few jobs were open to black women in Montgomery. And she kept cooking because she loved doing it and it brought the family together. Martha recalls weekly Sunday dinners that made the cousins as close as siblings. She has many childhood food memories, all grounded in the power of her mother's cooking. You know, one minute you may be out playing and then you come back and you smell all these different aromas and smells and stuff and you can't wait to eat. She could just turn that little stuff, you know, into some so amazing. Just watching her turn Nothing into magic. In her early 20s, as Martha puzzled over how to do something meaningful with her life, she thought about another local entrepreneur. Georgia Gilmore, a single mother of four, cooked and sold meals out of her home in Montgomery during the civil rights era to help support the movement. I always read about her in the paper. You know, I always read about Georgia Gilmore having so-and-so come there, Dr. King was there, Robert Kennedy, and just the idea of thinking that people coming to your house, sitting at your table, just laughing and just talking and just, you know, it ain't like being in the restaurant hustling and bustling all this fuss and noise and all that kind of stuff that they can have a real quiet time where they can really strategize, not just coming to eat, but Connecting. Reading about Georgia Gilmore gave Martha a sense of direction and purpose. She started me to dreaming, you know, uh, about having me a restaurant in an old house. As you know, I'm reading and dreaming. Uh, I'm reading about Dr. King and I'm saying, hey, this one man, he doing this. If he one person doing this, hey, I can do something. What can I do, you know? And so both of them had me dreaming. Both of them had me Spellbound. Martha opened Martha's Place in an old house in Montgomery in 1988, and from the start, she cooked the way Sally B. taught her. 
wasting nothing, using fresh ingredients and simple spices, and creating a space where people could have real conversations about things that matter, like at Georgia's. And 33 years later, she's still at it. I tell my, the people that work for me now, if you're not loving this, you're going to mess it up. When you do it, you got to love. You can't be in there fussing and arguing and think it's going to taste good. No, it will not. It's amazing. Food is a reflection of how you feel when you fix it. Martha's place did emulate Georgia's and did become a gathering spot for leaders. I saw so many important people that came to my restaurant sit at my little table, you know, like Rosa Park and who, who hadn't been there, you know. All different kind of people, you know, that came and sit and strategize and talk. They had the 40th anniversary of the uh, bus bar cart at my restaurant. But even more important to Martha, her restaurant became a community. These people that you had known all this time had come in, you had saw children and grandkids and weddings and all that kind of stuff. You become a part of their life and they become a part of your life. My customers made me into who I am. You know, they invested in me and continue to invest in me. And that's what keep me wanting to give my best and do my best. Today, giving her best has taken on a new form for Martha. She speaks to youth openly and honestly about her battles with depression. Speaking truth into people's lives, because that's the only way we can help each other by being real. We have made folks to make them feel like it's not normal for you to go through this. It's not normal for you to feel like this. But life is just life. Life happened to us all. It's not all the way good. But, Martha reminds them, life is constantly changing. Your life going to take another turn. It don't stay this way. You see yourself now, but it's more than now. You know, it's, 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 it's a future, you know. And uh, most of the time, people don't realize it because they feel like they stuck. It ain't going to change. It changed. Martha's life changed by getting the help she needed for her mental health and by leaning on examples set by Georgia and Sally B., Though it wasn't until much later that Martha realized what her mother truly was. At that time, you weren't even thinking about that she was un this entrepreneur, yeah. you know. You didn't even know what the word was. Let's all talk about thinking about that yeah. she was one. But then later on in life, you realize, you know, hey, that's what mom did. Mm -hmm. You know, she made money with, with her hands, you know, with what she loved to do. And that was cool. From the Taylors in York to the Hawkins in Montgomery, Black Belt entrepreneurs use creativity, skill, and hard work to generate real community impact. As the Black Belt continues to evolve, we look to see how its new leaders will do the same. And we ask ourselves, how can we use what we have to shape our own corner of the world? Gravy was reported and produced by Jackie Clay and Emily Blavos. Ms. Clay is the Curator and Executive Director at the Coleman Center for the Arts in Sumter County, Alabama. Ms. Blavos is the Executive Director of the Alabama Folklife Association. Gravy was mixed and edited by Matt Whitson, a video editor and audio engineer at Alabama Public Television. Thanks, Matt. We also thank Wendell Patrick for Gravy's theme music and Jazar for our donor music. Special thanks to Katie Carter-King, on whom we rely often and who always does a good job as our fact checker. 
Managing editor for Gravy and all other SFA media is Sarah Camp Milam, and there she is right there, right next to me right there. Mary Beth Laster serves as our publisher, and she serves well. Visit us at southernfoodways.org to immerse yourself in our Alabama films and oral histories. Is that immersion kind of like baptism when it's a full immersion? And while you're there, we'd be much obliged if you consider becoming a member or making a donation. Your dollars fund our work and help us make more gravy. I'm John T. Edge, and I like gravy. And I'm Melissa Hall. Thanks for letting us pour some gravy in your ear.